Hello and welcome to Our American States, a podcast from the National Conference of State Legislatures. This podcast is all about legislatures, the people in them, the policies, process, and politics that shape them. I'm your host, Ed Smith. Legislators who I've spoken with and legislative staff are, I think, anticipating in a somewhat positive way the new sessions that kick off in nearly every state next year. A couple states start this year. All states are in session in 2023. That was Tim Story, the CEO of NCSL. I sat down with Story just before Christmas for our annual ritual, a look at the key issues facing legislatures as the new year begins. While state budgets are in good shape, Story notes that legislators have the same concern and uncertainty about a possible recession and ongoing inflation as everyone else. That likely will make them cautious in their spending plans. A big issue that touches every area of the economy, from construction to schools, is the workforce. Story said he expects that will be the focus for many legislators. In the health area, mental and behavioral health are top of mind for many lawmakers, especially as those issues affect young people. We also discussed the legislative role as states implement myriad programs funded by the billions of dollars in federal aid under the Federal Infrastructure and Inflation Reduction Legislation. Here's our discussion. Tim, great to have you on the podcast. Oh, I always love being on the uh, Our American States podcast. So thank you, Ed. Looking forward to it. So, Tim, why don't we start with the overall picture? What's the shape of state legislatures as we enter 2023 and sessions start to open up in almost every state? The dynamics of legislatures are super dynamic, always changing, but they do react to certain things that happen on, on a regular basis. And, you know, one is that the, the 2022 midterm elections are in the rearview mirror now. And yes, people are already campaigning for 2024, but we now enter that sort of first year of the cycle for most states. So I, I think legislatures are in a, in a position of eagerness for sessions, honestly. I, I think budgets are healthy for the most part across the country. There's a few clouds now on the horizon that, that weren't there even just a month ago. Legislators who I've spoken with and legislative staff are, I think, anticipating in a somewhat positive way the new sessions that kick off in nearly every state next year. A couple states start this year. All states are in session in 2023. I think there's a little bit of optimism um, that this election went well from an administrative standpoint. And again, the, the state budgets are healthy for now. So you know, most states are looking at you know, solving some of the big problems that have landed at their doorstep once again. Well, let's talk a little bit more about state budgets. I think that six months ago, maybe we thought things were even rosier, but fear of uh, a recession and, of course, ongoing pretty high inflation affects everyone. So how are legislators talking about their budgets and where are the uh, concern areas? Everybody's tuned into the same economic news as the general public. And, you know, of course, they get very sophisticated analysis from fiscal staff who do an outstanding job in terms of monitoring current economics as, uh, landscape as well as trying to project into the future where things are headed. But the entire U.S. economy, and not to mention the global economy, is, is it a true inflection point of uncertainty, the, the dynamics that exist between continued high inflation, 
a number of instable things around the world, like the war in Ukraine, like the incredibly high inflation in Europe, the supply chain issues that continue, uh, issues with China. Um, so there's there's big external factors that no one can control for. But we have what I would describe and most economists would describe as continuation of inflation. At the same time, extremely low unemployment across the board in essentially every state. You've also got trillions of dollars uh, sort of in the economy unspent. So that's a big factor. Uh, you got a, a, a Fed that continues to tighten down in interest rates to try to uh, control a, a slowing of the economy. And but, but the fact is, these economic dynamics are essentially unprecedented. This sort of coming out of COVID, a war in Europe, other things that are playing into it, massive stimulus, over $6 trillion spent by the federal government um, over the course of the last two years, both in terms of COVID spending, as well as the infrastructure bill and the Inflation Reduction Act. So there's a great deal of liquidity, you know, money pouring into the U.S. economy and still much of it uh, going in. My point is, we are, I, I feel like, a, a place of relatively historic uncertainty. Uh, there's no analog for this set of dynamics. And maybe that's how it is with, with any change and transformational phase in the economy. So state budgets exist in this big economy. And, and oftentimes, much of what happens has major impacts on certain states. For example, um, if you're an oil and gas dependent state, oil is now trading back. I don't know exactly the, the amount, but last I checked, it was trading in the mid to low 80s. Um, after being up around 125 at one point per barrel. So big drop in oil. No one knows how long that's going to last. So the word of the day is uncertain. On the other hand, rainy day funds are full. States have been preparing. Revenues has been strong, exceeding expectations, exceeding projections in almost all states. So uh, on the one hand, states are in terrific position financially and fiscally. Perhaps the most stable budgets have been in in, in certainly in my memory in over 30 years. Uh, so maybe maybe you have to go back to the Great Depression, frankly. Um, certainly starting they were in the, in the recession in 2008-2009. The, the U.S. economy and the world economy, unstable. Uncertain, I think is the word. Because no one knows. You know, it, it, you, you, you have economists who can legitimately make a case that the, econ- that the recession is coming in six months, coming in 12 months. You have other economists who say there's no guarantee of a recession. The market's sort of going back and forth between those two forecasts. So, um, but the good news is state budgets are healthy for now, and there's still federal money that's left unspent that they're still trying to work through to solve problems. Well, I think maybe the great uncertainty is the headline for our podcast. When you talk about the you talk about the budgets and economy, I think that's absolutely true. And and I hear from legislators and legislative leaders they want to be extremely careful um, in terms of how they spend money, especially to put things in sort of the permanent budget um, that have to be funded year after year after year. So even though there's excess of funds, um, there's a great reluctance to spend on things that become continuation items in future budgets. Let me ask you about workforce. I know that this is uh, a huge issue, and I know that at your recent meeting in um, California that this came up as a, a just something that touches almost every aspect of life. So talk a little bit about that, and what can legislators do about this? What kind of things do you think they'll be be doing? That's right. So I, I in a way, done like a 
an informal focus group one-on-one with maybe 20 legislative leaders over the past few weeks. And, and, um, and what's interesting to me is that it just continuously comes up. You know, they might be saying, you know, the biggest issue in our state is we've got a massive shortage of people in healthcare and nursing homes. So, okay, that's a workforce issue. Um, we have a we have a tremendous challenge recruiting teachers and retaining teachers. That's a workforce issue. We have so many unfilled police jobs, not so much state police, but local police. And of course, legislators hear about that. And then they've got their own employers. Uh, so you got major companies saying, we cannot find enough people to fill the jobs we have. And we're in a transition. I think COVID was in many ways the catalyst. The pandemic was a catalyst for this huge shift in, in how Americans work and the jobs that, that are necessary. Legislatures, as public policy leaders, expected to you know, deal with these issues to help employers, to help their the citizens who, who also are dealing with high inflation, are trying to figure out what can they do to find more people to fill these jobs. So you've got two, two sides of this there's the state jobs that legislators have a direct responsibility for, like I said, teachers, healthcare workers, prison workers, across the board of the many jobs that, that states have to have to recruit. And then on the other side, you got private employers who in the same economy, like I said, I think 20-some states have an unemployment rate at 3% or lower. All, all the rest are in the same neighborhood. So this remarkably low unemployment, a number of people who are out of the workforce, some because of COVID um, and what happened during COVID. And, and then it's just the, it is the silver tsunami is happening now. We're watching the big wave come ashore. The demographic tsunami that everybody knew was coming, we've been talking about it for at least 15 years, of the baby boomers retiring. So this is all happening at the same time. And people are coming to legislature saying, well, what are you going to do? It's fascinating, I, I, as is often the case, especially when you look across all 50 states, it's a multi, multi, multi uh, pronged approach. Uh, different kinds of training programs, different kinds of apprenticeship programs, changing benefits for workers to get different kinds of people into the workforce, trying to deal with some of the adjacent issues like child or uh, child care. Uh, you know, so there's so many people who would like to be uh, in, in the workforce, like to have jobs, have such challenges finding child care. So trying to deal with that issue. And thinking a lot about higher ed and, you know, kind of how, how higher ed relates to the jobs we have now and the, and the things that we need people uh, to do to make the economy strong and, and give them jobs that pay living wage and that are respectable and, and also let them uh, live their best life. I feel like it's sort of this cross-cutting issue underlying, you know, whatever you talk about, you're the first thing you talk about, well, where are we going to find the people to do that? You can come up with a great program. But if you don't have folks who can do it, they're looking at their state recruitment and retention programs. They're poaching from other states. I mean, there's this you know active campaigning between you know some states to other states. Like, hey, come to our state. Uh, we're better than that that state. I've seen these advertisements. State workforces are looking at remote work options in ways they never have before, um, because you have to do that to compete um, for the job, the kind of jobs that can be done remotely. And then setting up new programs as fast as possible to train nurses and coders, cybersecurity people who are there's a massive shortage of people who can do that kind of work. Um, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Let me ask you about health care. It's always front of mind for states. 
uh, especially given the amount states spend both on healthcare for their employees as well as uh, their Medicaid programs. We did a four-part series on legislation related to prescription drug costs this past year, and I'm sure that will continue to be an issue for legislators. But but what are the other healthcare issues, along with workforce, which is going to be a big one? What are some of the other things you think states will work on this year? The biggest thing that our health staff, and of course we have an amazing team of, of people here who are experts on every aspect of healthcare, the intersection between state policy and and the healthcare that Americans get. The the biggest thing that's kind of popping out, I guess, is mental health issues and behavioral health issues. There clearly is an attention to that particular um, part of our healthcare um, universe that, that has not existed before. There's a lot of early speculation as to why we seem to find ourselves in a in a place where uh, the, the mental health issues are exploding. Um, not just among the entire American population, but especially among uh, teenagers and, and and younger people. It is documented and it's personal. You know, my kids are struggling with it, as, as I think many are. And you know, so I'm encouraged and it is bipartisan. And I think the challenge is trying to stand up systems that are needed like yesterday. But you have to have trained people. A number of states have passed uh, mental health legislation, actually a small number of states. But I think you're going to see a number of them looking at it harder, where you can find more resources for youth mental health, more access in schools for mental health programs. You know, we ask schools to do so much as it is, and and, uh, and now they're having to deal with what I think, again, the experts can't say this is why this is happening. COVID and the pandemic are clearly an issue, and, and there's a, a lot of, I think, legitimate speculation about the impact of social media and smartphone devices. You know, these are, these are if your kid's 11, 12, 13, 16 years old, kids get these phones really young. You know, they've had access to social media and phones. So that's probably playing into it. The bottom line is, it seems to me this is the the top health issue uh, beyond workforce. I mean, I think workforce is a big one. The other thing that, that comes up in the health space is the telehealth, the continued expansion, probably because it's like a creative solution to the workforce problem. So you've got to find ways to get people in with professionals, be they you know, um, traditional doctors and, and, and nurse practitioners and those kinds of people, as well as mental health professionals. So I, I think that's the it's the behavioral mental health thing is what, what I've heard and, and our staff seem to find when they start surveying and talking to legislators from around the country. I have heard this so often from so many people in so many different uh, contexts. It is phenomenal. And, you know, it, it's interesting when we all kind of see something and we hear it and we wonder if there's some confirmation bias that's at play. But then the data starts to say, oh, it's not just, wow, it seems like everybody I know is being hit with, with uh, you know, major mental health issues within families, within social networks, particularly among, among teens. So, you know, it's encouraging. I, you know, one of my favorite sayings, you've heard me say it before, is the best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. And the second best time is today. And so I think there's a big attention to like, let's start thinking about how our, our, the systems integrate between, you know, the traditional healthcare system and behavioral healthcare systems um, and looking at getting resources and putting them into this. Yeah, well, I think you're right. I think there's going to be a great deal of attention focused on this. Uh, I think there already is, but I'm, I'm sure that legislators are going to dig, uh, dig into this in many, many other states. 
there's going to be hundreds of billions of dollars going to the states from the federal government, particularly under the provisions of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And I wonder, what's the role of legislatures in dealing with that funding? And uh, when will people start to see this showing up in their own states? I think the role of legislatures is to set broader policy, not to get involved in this project or that project. Obviously, that's for professional planners and transportation experts and infrastructure experts. I think legislatures have two key roles. One is to sort of set the big policy. We want to we want to make sure that that broadband covers every square inch of our state, those kinds of things, and looking at the laws that might make that more challenging or make it easier. So that's a good example. I think when we get through this in five or 10 years somewhere, maybe sooner, we're going to have massive broadband penetration in this country, and perhaps it's something coming to, to 100%, not counting Alaska's you know, completely empty, you know, thousands of square miles. There's that, just sort of setting the broad policy. We want the focus to be on ports, on broadband, you know, setting some priorities. The other thing is the oversight piece of it. It's going to be really critical that legislatures watch and ask a lot of questions about how you know, the various uh, departments within their state governments are using this federal money and speaking up for their constituents and trying to say, you know, we, we've got to look at this is not an unlimited. It is an incredible amount of money. We'll see some pretty incredible results over the longer term. Actually, not the long term, the medium term. But legislatures have to be, you know, sort of constantly asking questions and, and then thinking about, okay, what is our role in terms of finding people to do these jobs? You know, another workforce issue. You know, there's all this money chasing not enough talent to build ports, to build water systems. I think that's where what the legislative role is. This is where, by the way, the, the immigration issue comes into play on all of these workforce issues. The federal government has got to solve the lack of policy on federal immigration. States are doing everything they can. And I hear this from both parties. And, and, and they're saying, come up with a solution. And as long as the sort of the, the ends of the bell curve sort of drive the conversation, when, when the vast majority of policymakers want a solution to the immigration conundrum in this country, that's, that's not the best word to use, but the, um, just the lack of a policy and, and how it makes it impossible for a workforce standard and treating people well as they, as they enter the country and, and managing it. That's a little bit of a one-off, but I think it, it relates to all of these, whether it's healthcare, infrastructure and construction, you know, public safety, you name it. I'll be right back with Tim Story for the rest of our discussion after this short break. Rely on state legislature's news on the NCSL website for the freshest takes on people, places, and policy. Find out what states are doing about the biggest issues of the day. And check out the Across the Aisle and My District features for compelling stories of bipartisanship and special places and events. Make SLN your daily go-to for all the hottest legislative topics and trends. Just click on the News tab on the NCSL website, www.ncsl.org. Let me switch over and ask you about education, also an area of major concern for legislatures, and of course, spending for the states. Uh, what do you see as the top issue in that area that legislatures will focus on? And I'm guessing it's probably workforce. Well, it is. I mean, that's, you know, as I joked when I did a couple talks on this, you know, stop me if you've heard this one before, but it is workforce. And it's not just teachers. It's 
bus drivers, which has been a problem for years, cafeteria workers, uh, sanitation workers, I mean, everybody, administrators, everybody works in and around the education ecosystem. On top of that is this achievement gap that's come about as a result of, I just say, a lost year of COVID. Now that we're starting to see the, the data come through, and of course, the U.S. government, the Congress and the White House put massive funds in through the ESSER program. There's billions and billions of dollars available to school systems. So I think that's one of the challenges. And, and that'll, you know, much of it come through the states because this is, as we all know, the number one thing states budget for and, you know, continues to be, although obviously Medicaid is, is, is rapidly gaining. What happened um, and has now been well documented that, that students really regressed in, in learning and achievement. You know, is there anything that can be done? So states are going to get creative in terms of pouring money into special tutoring, extra tutoring programs, and and uh, and just getting creative about what can be done to close this gap for this generation, this COVID generation of school kids. Uh, and again, it's personal. I, I saw it. The virtual school, you know, worked for some kids, but on the on the whole, I, I, and, and I'm not criticizing or judging the education folks who were trying to do it. I mean, everybody was doing their best, and I think their motives were pure. But it, it, it just was not all that it was not all that effective. And now the data shows it. So what do we do now? You know, you can't can't change what happened in the past. So I think that's going to be top of mind for legislatures as they start to look at at uh, education systems, as well as the workforce shortage <laughs> across the board. And then you got college debt and affordability, uh, which is something we've been talking about for a couple of years now, sort of in the education space, just shifting to higher ed. Legislatures are now, especially given what's happening with the federal government loan forgiveness, and I hear legislators more and more and more, not just conservative legislators, but really talking about the value proposition and the increasing tuition costs. Is it really the system that serves the the students, that uh, serves the state best? Let me ask you about crime. Certainly crime statistics and ads and all that played a a role in the election and voters indicated it in, at least in polling, that it was a big concern. What do you think we're going to see in this area as legislatures reconvene? Well, it was a major, crime was a major campaign issue in many legislative campaigns, as was inflation. You know, those were sort of things that the that Republican candidates really wanted to make the center of the campaign. And of course, Democrats had other issues that they were making the center of the campaign, including affordable housing, the abortion issue in, in the wake of the Dobbs decision. Tax issues also came up commonly during the campaign and spending issues. So I think all of those are ones that, you know, we should expect candidates to try to act on the things they said they were going to do during the campaigns. Um, and there is a direct line between I'm running to get this done and then trying to get it done when they get to the state house. And I think criminal justice was one of those. It's one of those perception issues. It's a next door issue. There's that nextdoor.com app where people talk about lost cats. And man, if you go on the one in my neighborhood, I think it's very typical around the country. It's just every other post is some suspicious character was stealing packages off of porches, you know. And so there is a perception of uptick in crime. We know that violent crime is up at least a year ago. Now, of course, that's the other thing. This data tends to lag. So it's hard to say, like, where are we today relative to a year ago? So that's a whole lot of caveats to say that I expect many legislatures will look at the criminal justice system, which is stretched to the breaking point. 
It's not that funding is the issue for policing. And by the way, the relationship between more police and decline in crime is tenuous. So you got it's very complicated when you start to look at the data. I think there's a, a perception that we've got to tackle particularly property crime, like auto theft, catalytic converter theft. I mean, anyone you talk to has a, a story that's a one person removed about a porch pirate or a catalytic converter getting stolen. <laughs> so, um, so I just think it's something they'll be talking about. But again, it, it's not like we lack for prison space. I mean, I, 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 we, we do lack for prison space because incarceration is so expensive we do have a lot of people incarcerated. So it's looking at alternatives to incarceration so we can spend the money wisely. And it's the workforce issue. I mean, you know, if you're throwing money at something, you got to have people to manage system, evidence systems, you know, better uses of evidence and, and more detectives to actually investigate crimes. Um, you know, that's a big part of the problem. It's not just the the street level police, it's the, the investigators and the prosecutors and the system to, to bring these people to court. I think it's one of those that I don't know that there's a lot of solutions off the shelf. It's not like we haven't been talking about violent crime and property crimes. Auto theft is skyrocketing in certain parts of the country. Again, look at the price of cars, right? So there's a there's an incentive, unfortunately, for criminal elements to steal cars because they are so overvalued right now. I think there'll be a lot of discussion, and I don't know exactly what they'll what they can do. But um, and we've done a lot of criminal justice reform in terms of sentencing reform in the last several years. So I feel like that's something that the states have devoted a lot of attention to. But we also need to, in this category, talk about the fentanyl crisis in the country. And overdoses, um, it, it, it is uh, remarkable. It's like we're, we're back at the opioid crisis when, when all we talked about, I want to say five, seven years ago, was the opioid crisis. And every state was putting together task forces and passing packages and looking at it from every angle. And now fentanyl's kind of right back there. Um, and it's a different kind of drug, and it's it's a more difficult drug from what I understand from a law enforcement perspective. But you've also got to look at it from a mental health perspective and from a health perspective. I have a feeling we're we're going to be talking about the fentanyl crisis for the next few years. That ties into what you were saying earlier about the mental health and behavioral health problems. But these figures for overdose deaths exceeding 100,000 uh, in the last reporting period I saw is just, it kind of takes your breath away. According to the data, I mean, we're we're in a new world with fentanyl that, that has a lot of familiar, you know, it looks a lot like the opioid crisis, but the origins are very different because of how fentanyl's produced and brought into the U.S. market. So it, it's, it's going to be another challenge for us. Well, Tim, you and I could sit here for another hour and talk about different issues that state legislatures will likely face in 2023, but I think we're going to wind it up. And I, I w just wonder if there's anything else on your mind as we head into the new year and the new sessions. There are so many. I'm, I'm sorry our time is up because, you know, there are many and you hate to leave anything off the table. I mean, privacy and cybersecurity. I think states are going to be looking really hard at, uh, at, at people's online privacy. And, you know, with everything that's happening in social media, corporate world with with Twitter. And, and um, so I can guarantee you they're going to be talking about that. Affordable housing is a major issue um, in just about every state. I mean, it seems like it's not just traditionally urban states, but it's it's urban and rural states. And I know that's going to be a top issue in legislatures. And then it's just, again, the fiscal issues. I think a lot of states are looking at their surpluses, looking at tax rebates, tax cuts in some cases, tax relief. 
but also with a, a really keen eye towards, boy, there's something on the horizon and hard to say what it is. <laughs> our forecasting, our weather forecasting is far superior to our economic forecasting. Um, it is a much more precise science to forecast the weather in 10 days than it is to forecast the economy in 10 days. It's my humble opinion not to not to cast any aspersions on the many brilliant economists in, in the world who are trying to figure it out. But um, So I, I think that's, that's the measure of the day. But I, I, I do hope that maybe some of the, the incivility and the fever of that is starting to break. I certainly hear it from legislators of all stripes. People are fed up. And I, don't, I think meaning the, the, the general public, the voters, are really, really exhausted by this, this just destructive, belittling conversation that's taken place for the number of years. And, and they want to see it turn to like, let's just talk to each other. And stop listening to the tiny percentages of people who spew all this horrible stuff in, into the into the atmosphere through social media. So let's let's just start ignoring these folks because they they're not the people. They're not the American people. The vast majority of the American people just want solutions. And if it's not exactly what they want, they're okay with that. But you got these tiny groups on the fringes who are just all or nothing. It's not going to work. So, so I do feel a little bit optimistic about these sessions, more so than a year ago, and in the year before that, that that I feel like maybe we're just turning a little bit of a curve on um, what we do together, uh, and just uh, Republicans are going to pass Republican policies, Democrats are going to pass Democratic policies, but they can at least listen to each other. Here and there, they're going to find a whole lot of common ground. So that's my uh, that's my hope for for 2023, and I, I think it's going to be a good year. I really do. I'm, I'm not in the doom and gloom recession camp, so I think that's something we don't necessarily need to dread. And it's not an election year in most states, uh, so we can focus on policy, not necessarily in just all electoral politics. Well, that is a a good note to end on. I certainly hope that uh, your uh, optimism about a return to just arguing about policy instead of all these other things is uh, is on the money because I think that uh, uh, legislatures and the whole society would be much better off if that's where we are. Tim, thank you very much. Take care and uh, look forward to the new year. Thank you, Ed. Really appreciate what you're doing with the podcast and great job as always and uh, look forward to being on again sometime. I've been talking with Tim Story, CEO of NCSL, about the key issues facing legislatures as they convene their sessions in 2023. Thanks for listening. You can check out all the podcasts from the National Conference of State Legislatures by searching for NCSL Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Tim Story, NCSL's CEO, hosts Legislatures, the Inside Story, where he focuses on leadership in legislatures. On the Across the Aisle podcast, host Kelly Griffin tells stories of bipartisanship. Also, try our special series, Building Democracy, on the history of legislatures.